Hello, and welcome to episode 33 of Man vs. Business. My name is Les Janes, and I am here with my co-host, Sean McManaman. This week, Sean and I are discussing field service, the types, development, and the issues surrounding field service. So with that, let's start the show. Sean, how are you doing today? Good, Les. How are you? I'm doing... Holiday weekend? Yeah, doing fine. Um, we took, uh, and re- we're recording this one a little bit late just due to the uh, Monday holiday, but uh, we decided to come back with a, uh, a topic that uh, is kind of outside, a little bit outside of the norm on, you know, daily business, you know, processes and routines, but I think is, you know, just as important as any other department in the, in the company if, you know, if it is something that you need in your environment. And that is field service. So we're going to talk a little bit about field service, you know, what it entails, when to have one. And this is mostly for a manufacturing environment, wouldn't you think? Yeah, but then again, I mean, you have you have service techs for, for uh, you know, consumer product companies as well. That's you true. Know, I think of the copier, the copier repair guy and everything like that, you know. Um, really, if you, if you think about it, you could bracket the business process with – your salesperson being being the first physical person that's talking to the customer, and then your service tech or your field service person communicating with the customer after you've delivered the product. Okay. Right. So, you, so, and, and to me, if you look at it that way, you can get information. Of course, you're gathering information on the front end with the sales side, but then you can get critical information on how well you did and how well if if maybe the the, the product needs something more than just like a startup or an initiation or something like that, if there is a problem, that, that field service person is there. And we'll talk a little bit more about this during the, during our time. But the thing is, you get the feedback from how the customer feels, how the customer thinks, um, you know, you guys did as a company providing this product or service. So I guess, one, um, anytime you're supplying a product, you have the potential for supplying an extra level of service in the Activity that goes on once the customer receives the product, hence field service. Right, and if you can make money, and needless to say, I mean, it's got to be a, a productive part of the business. You need to be able to make money. You don't, don't just have a field service group to follow up after the project if there's real no no added value there. Right, and that's um, uh, that's what I was going to mention next. You was like to be able to sell, yeah. You want to sell field service. You want to sell some kind of service, whether it's like you said. We call it field service, but startup services or you know a a, a checkout or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you can if you can sell that along with the whole product, just to make sure that the customer's happy. As we talk all the time, it, the, the bottom line goal is is supplying your customer with the product that that they need that and makes them happy. So, my first thought on field service is this is this is uh, a lot like uh, when I go into Best Buy and I buy some electronics. And they want to uh, sell me a warranty for what I'm uh, about to purchase. Uh, it can sometimes feel like it's a service that I shouldn't have to pay for in the customer's eyes. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I don't pay for those those uh, warranty services on consumer products as well. Because when you think about it, the product is supposed to 
perform and work for right. for the guarantee period. See, with with least mechanical equipment, you're providing a guarantee period, and you say, "Hey, our, our equipment's going to work." It'll perform to the standards that you said you asked us to to design to for a period of three years. Okay, so so the customer would be happy, you know, with that. There's, you can get an extended warranty above and beyond that. Now, our customers do expect, you know, a certain warranty period that we cover, as included with the with the product cost. But then you can buy an extended warranty, and and so the extended warranty really should be for something outside of what is reasonably expected in the industry. Right. Now, I will I will say it's a little different though than than going to. Best Buy or a consumer store and getting that getting that, that that warranty or that additional warranty because it is again a startup a startup activity or you know typically when when customers buy industrial goods they're not experts at it that's why they come to you right not only can they not they not build it but you know what they might not know how to operate it they might not know how to connect it they might not know how to tune it. In a lot of cases, with our with our equipment, you you have to tune it into the operating parameters that the customer wants. So, from that aspect, the job is needed, and an industry understands that somebody's going to come after the equipment is delivered to show them how to either install it or start it up. So, I guess the difference there is is that you're actually trying to sell your knowledge of your own product. Uh, due to the fact that you know it's either complicated or it's um, mm-hmm. um, it's something that is not in their bailiwick, so to speak, and right. they're they're looking for a full turnkey solution as to how to get this complicated piece of equipment up and running. Right. You're right because if you think of it, okay, let's move on to something like not go away from a TV, but move to a copier. You're right. There's nobody in my office that would want to ever learn how to fix the copier. Now, we do know how to yeah. open it up and, and find the piece of paper that's crumpled up inside of it or something like that. But, you know, other than that, if it needs a tune-up or if it needs, you know, a new piece of uh, hardware installed inside of it, none of us are ever going to try and do that. We need somebody that knows what they're doing to do that. Right. We're thinking it this way. Back to the back to the Best Buy, the electronics consumer store. <clears throat> if you buy a TV and a stereo system and you want to hook that up into your computer Okay, many people can they they can go buy the TV and the stereo system and the computer, but they have no idea what cables to plug in where and how to optimize the sound in the picture. Right. So you know, a consumer store would sell service to do all that for for the customer because because they really can't. And then and then the customer all they want to do is take the remote control and hit on buttons and volume. So that's really the difference between. So as we were talking earlier, that's the difference between. A warranty situation where you're buying a warranty as opposed to literally buying an installation service uh, because sure. you don't have the either the knowledge, the expertise, or the desire to want to mm-hmm. plug up this television and and functionally figure out how to get it to run properly. Um, and, and you know what? That's a good segue into I think the most. kind of breaking up there for a second sean um and and there it's it's real important on how how uh intelligent congenial um negotiating skill ability 
uh, all of that goes into a good experience for the customer when that person that represents your company sits across the table from them. Yeah, I think that uh, – can you repeat the first part of that, that statement because it kind of dropped off there for a second. Uh, well, about talking about how important it is for the, the type of person that you have oh, representing yeah. your company. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that, that, that person has to be able to have the knowledge as well as, as the skill both mechanically and um, diplomatically in making sure that the customer is not unhappy in the time it takes maybe to fix something that shouldn't have been not working. I won't say broken or whatever, but so, something not working when they got their equipment. So, and, and this is from experience. I've been in situations where, you know, the whole, it's a big project and you're one cog in the wheel, but you know what, if you become the critical path, then the customer all of a sudden gives you a whole lot of attention. And the person that's, that's trying to make it work as well as keep the customer happy with good schedules and promises that can be kept. That's a, that's a uh, tough job for people. That's for sure. So it sounds like though you're kind of talking about two different areas of services after the product is sold. One of them is, if there's problems with the product, with which falls under the category of warranty, or 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 activities um, within a potential warranty scenario, or the activities that fall within just the normal startup and installation of the product that has nothing to do with, you know, it's not working um, type scenario. Yeah, or, or it gets it gets to. And anybody that's in field service can can appreciate this. It gets to, hey, everybody upstream of you was late. I don't care that everybody upstairs upstream of you was late. You're the one sitting in front of me. Get this thing started tonight. Yeah. Okay. And you know, you know, you, you got to have a person that that says, okay, I understand. Just you know, there's no arguing about that. Um, you got to get it done. And that person, you know, is at the end of the the line, and and it uh, it's, it's pretty stressful. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be something is broken. Like I said, the schedule could be way off, and now all of a sudden you're the critical path, whether something was broken or, or just the customer's end schedule is coming up you know, to the, to the milestone. You've you got you to gotta be able to figure out what to do and how to get it done right and quickly. So I kind of say, say that these guys are, are kind of like the MacGyver of, of uh, your company. You know they have to they they have to be able to pull stuff out of their truck or out of the the van or whatever they they either drive or what's at the site and and get the customer up and running. Of course, if it's a temporary fix, then somebody's got to come back and and, and uh, do it right. But typically, you'll get these guys with enough knowledge that they can they can um, maneuver and, and manage equipment so that it'll work for the customer. And and the customer is uh, satisfied with the result. So those of those that are are overseas listeners, um, should you explain <laughs> who MacGyver is <laughs> and and why you yeah. brought up his, his name? <laughs> yeah, a television show here that the guy would get into all kinds of situations and be able to figure out how to how to break out of out of a uh, confined space. With a piece of chewing gum and a toothpick. Yeah, I was going to say a hairpin and a because he always had to have a girl with him, you know. So yeah, of course. So I think the other thing we should touch on is um, what about those situations where you're in a small environment, you don't have a a field service group per se, uh, but you have you still have a need for field service. 
Um, I know in uh, cases you know that I've been in is um, we've oftentimes just used production floor type employees uh, as the need arises, or we've used a sales guy to help with with some of those activities, and those aren't really a long term um, scalable solution uh, to a field service. But at what point do you switch over to towards investing in some sort of field service uh, group and you know, get your sales guys back to selling and your production guys back to doing production work. Yeah. Well, I think the first the first area that, that will tell you is if you're actually selling that, that field service or startup or whatever, you, you know, however you frame it, whatever your customers' needs are in your industry. So if you can, if you can sell that, then you know how much revenue you're going to make and then you can figure out what kind of um, person or group you need to support that type of revenue. Now, the other the other side of, of you know just sell, outright selling it, you need to you need to keep track of what is happening. And that I said earlier that the the most important thing about a field service group is the you know the person that you have in there. I think the second most important part of it is what data can you pull out from the customer and from the experience of starting up or or providing warranty services for your product. So. Any components that need to be replaced, any hiccups with with getting the unit commissioned, um, those have to be recorded and then analyzed so that you can figure out what needs to be done either either in the shop ahead of time or in engineering so that so that these issues don't show up in the field. Or you need to know that if if some if if things happen that can't be prevented in the shop, you need to staff a group that will go out there as kind of like a tiger team to make sure that the customer gets what he needs because if perhaps you, you send your equipment down the road and you're doing all that you can do on an air ride truck and it's you know smooth sailing all the way down, but every time your product gets to the customer, there's one piece that you know has jiggled off of its seat and it's gotta be it's gotta be just repositioned or something like that. Well, you can either send instructions so that the customer repositions it, but you know, no customer is going to be happy about having to work on equipment that they just bought. Right. Or you you staff it with a person that follows the equipment down and repositions it, and you know what? You frame it like a a, 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 a you know follow up sales call where you do okay information from the customer based on you brought them to me is very valuable in your whole process. You know, another and part if you need to hire people to get that, that information to, to generate that value and then, then okay. Yeah. Another part of this is, um, that even goes past warranty and, and field service is, um, uh, setting up maintenance programs. I know for our, our business, um, if that same group could be the people that we, uh, actually put customers on maintenance programs, you know, quarterly and, you know, semi-annually and annually maintenance programs where they come out and they change the filters or they come out and clean out the motor and the pump or, you know, they come out and, you know, dump the reservoir or, you know, whatever they need, uh, but they supply a service, you know, a service that way too, setting these customers up on maintenance programs. You know, most customers think that they can do some of that themselves, but uh, um, usually there's there you can convince them of a value add by letting you know somebody that knows what to look for and knows uh, what things to check whenever the system is is setting out there, you mm-hmm. know, that's a good 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 way to look at it. Um, you know, just like here, 
30 years ago, everybody used to change their own motor oil in their car. Yeah. But it's become such a hassle, and places that do it for a living are relatively inexpensive. You don't, you don't think of changing your oil, especially if you live in a, in a city environment. You don't, you don't think of changing your oil anymore. So that's, what, that's the value that you have to show to your customer. Hey, just yeah. let us do it. We know how to do it. We can do it faster. Right. Therefore, less, less expensive if you have other activities for your own resources to do. Right. Reduce your downtime. Make it to where uh, we get the notifications on when it should be done, and we just plan it and schedule it. Um, you know, the other thing I was thinking about is making sure that if you are going to have a field service, maintenance, and repair group, uh, that you've got the equipment needed to do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, making sure that uh, you're not using equipment out of your production environment. Uh, you know, we've had situations where employees take a whole bag of tools and all of a sudden somebody in the production line is, you know, needs those tools and can't get anything done, you know. So, uh um, you know, we've, we've thought about having a, you know, a, uh, a stocked up truck that has, you know, basic tubing and, and tools and all of that built right onto the truck. Uh, maybe even like a, like a shipping container that you can mm-hmm. leave at the site and have everything it needs to, you know, do the work, uh, of, you know, field service activities, you know, so, um, I think the key there is making sure that you have the right equipment, you know, and you've invested in ensuring that that group has everything they need to do a good job because that's the impression you're going to leave on the customer. <laughs> Huge impression. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I've, got, I've got personal experience, not, not at work, but uh, in my home with people coming. People coming with a certain function to do on a certain piece of equipment, walking in, looking at it and saying, well, I don't have... I don't have a fuser. I don't have something for, you know, what, what you called me for and then turn around and walked away and two days later, come back. You know, that, that you don't want to run your business like that. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had the same situation with uh, a set of windows that were installed at our house yesterday and, uh, uh, they didn't bring caulk to caulk the windows. (laughs) Now he did come out and caulk it the next day. So it wasn't a problem. But yeah, uh, it didn't rain, though. I'm telling you, you know. So, uh, um, you know, I think just being prepared. And there's some there's some things that uh, a group or an organization can do to help mitigate that kind of stuff. And that's where you get into some of your quality uh, routines, some of your pokeyoking and and five S. You know, maybe there's a simple checklist that you have that you check before you leave to go install a set of windows. Well, you know what? Let's use that as an example because um, when you think about it. And back to my comment about getting data. So the, the, the guy that came out and didn't have caulk, mm-hmm. I'm sure he's got some excuse. I'm sure he does. And his excuse, one of the first excuses I can think of is that he didn't know what color your house was. Right. Okay? So I'm thinking the guy that sold you the windows, unless you unless unless you went to a website and just ordered windows. Nope. But, nope. Okay. So somebody came to you and looked at your windows, took measurements, counted the windows and everything like that. That's right. That, that person – you know, this is an easy scenario or whatever. That person doesn't have it on his checklist to, man- to to figure out what color is your house so that the installer would have the right color caulk. Yep. And that you know, same white form. Would, white would be safe. But. That same form, and in this case, it wasn't white. <laughs> okay, so there you go. White might have been safe, but not right. Not, it wouldn't have made me happy if you'd have put white on there. That would have looked ugly. 
Wow. Okay. So good. I'm glad I brought that up. Yeah. You know, because yeah, you know, you think, okay, well, we'll just do this because we'll be happy. Nope. I'd have made him. I'd have made him rip that cock right back out. <laughs> so, so what? What else should be on a checklist? Well, I think that they, they should have used that form for one, the sales guy coming and taking the measurements, and then noting all the things such as you know, caulk, uh, you know, the type of brick. Um, the installation information in that same form could have been delivered to the guy that's going to pick up the windows and get the material. And then he should have been there checking it off, uh, making sure he had it before he left and then checking it off with me, making sure I was happy with it. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, but he's using one form. Front. Yeah. He's using one form to complete that whole circle, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, Did the guy bring a ladder? Uh, they didn't need to bring a ladder, but I, I didn't look okay, on the truck. So yeah. I didn't look on the truck to see if they had a ladder, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. How does he know if he has to get on the second floor for windows? Right. That, that I would help. I would hope is on the sheet, right? Yeah. There you go. Another good example of what should be on mm-hmm. there. So when the guy comes out, yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's that's some that's a very simple and good example of kind of what uh, you know we've been talking about through this whole session here. And and. Uh, to me, it's a great example because all all people have to do is just sit down and think. Mm-hmm. Just think through. So so you know if you if you're in a in a process, just take some time. Whatever day of the week is best for you, whatever time of the day is best for you, and just think. What what am I missing? Yeah. What what's being done that should be addressed? And I mean, it's not up to just one individual to change their organization or change change you know their their team. Okay, you might be in charge of the team. But it's not for you to direct how things get done because you might not know everything. But you can ask questions. And so what questions should you ask is what you really should be sitting back and thinking about. Right. So to kind of summarize this, I think that, um, you know, field service is something you really need to put some thought and effort into what you want your field service group to look like, how you want them to, to work and function. And one of the key things I heard out of this is making sure that you've got the right people in that group because it sounds like they need to uh, be diplomatic. They mm-hmm. need to have a thick skin. Um, they need to be able to manage their information and their time very wisely. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what I got out of this. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and we've got, we've got um, examples of customers that come back to us because we do have good field service people. They, yeah. they need the startup and commissioning service from us. They know the, the equipment has to be a given, kind of like you know quality, and there goes the air quotes. You know, <laughs> quality, is, quality is in there, okay? So they know the product is good, but you know what? They like the guy that comes and does the startup because they, they know what to expect. Right. And so, th- so we get the order. So we get a nice big order because we have one guy that, that the customer likes. That's a good way to do business. So um, we have a couple picks of the week here. I'll go ahead and start with mine. Um, my pick of the week is PTO. So if you don't know what PTO stands for, it stands for personal time off. So I just got finished uh, taking some PTO. And uh, I tried very hard at turning off my phone and not worrying about what was going on at work because I, I truly think that um, you need those times to rejuvenate, to, to focus on you know, the import, what's important and, and make sure that you're not always uh, worried about you know, work. Now, I did come into the office today and it was a little bit um, 
Uh, what would you say? It was a little uh, chaotic. Chaotic. There you go. Thank you. Okay. It was a little chaotic. But, you know, I sat and thought, well, what would I have done any differently if I had my phone on? I'd have known about it earlier, but probably wouldn't have done anything different by, you know, calling or trying to engage in emails or anything like that. So when you can, I, I realize that you can't always, but you should really try to work hard to, to when you take time off, take time off, you know, and not, um, not have your phone right there next to you. And when you're going out to a nice dinner with your family or something like that, be reading your emails. You know, yeah. enjoy your family, enjoy your time out, uh, do something fun. I went mountain biking, so I had I had I enjoyed that. I went and saw my parents up in, uh, up where they live, and you know, so I really tried to focus on things family and on myself. So uh, got some honeydews done, so that was good. So, so what's your pick? Uh, my pick is training, and. Uh, you know, I, like we talked about in the beginning, I was trying to think if I had said this before, less less didn't think that I had. But um, leaning on your suppliers for for free training, I think uh, that is a a valuable relationship builder and use of use of resources. Now, of course, you don't want to be so cheap that you know you try to get everything for free and you get you get what you pay for. Yeah. But but I think I think um, when you've got a supplier that provides a service. They should be happy to come in and and provide some kind of training so that the people that that either work with their product or or even buy their product understands better how the product works and how it, how it fits into you know the overall process. Yeah. So that's that's what I've been doing and it's it's, it's worked out it's worked out well. Um, you try to minimize the salesmanship of of your supplier giving the training. Um, Stick with you know the basics and the fundamentals of what the product does, not who they who we buy the product from. Um, the other thing that I found out too is that if you go to the local community college, there there might be programs where you could actually get grants to provide skills training to your employees. Take for example, since we're in industrial mechanical world, welding. That that if you if you go to the school, there might be a, a funded program that people can take advantage of to provide uh, welding training to your employees. Uh, whether it gets paid for or it gets partially paid for, you know, you might as well, you might as well see if those things are available and, and uh, help yourself and help your team out by providing skills training. I was also thinking about Excel training. You know, they probably, <laughs> they probably have some basic intro level, you know, Excel training, you know, would be another good one. Um, building a relationship with your community college, you know, one or two, however many you have in your area, is uh, is I think a good thing to do for a business in a, in, a, in a community. It, it gets you um, more recognized in the school, and then potentially, you know, in the in the city or the town or whatever community that you're in. Um, what 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 really got this started is that there is a national manufacturing day. Actually, you should look that up, Les. Uh, go to mfg.gov or mfg.org. I can look it up here mm. and see when um, when the, the, the cities that have manufacturing in them, they, they promote this manufacturing. It's for either high school kids or low-tech kids or even kids in engineering programs or whatever, accounting programs. One company that I know is doing it um, on the manufacturing day for us here in California is um, they're looking for accountants this time. 
So, so uh, it's kind of like the open house for manufacturing. It's pretty cool. Huh. Well, if anybody's interested in that, go check it out. I'm sure you can Google it. Um, so why don't we go ahead and wrap this up, and uh, we hope to uh, talk to everybody next week. Thank you all. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Man versus Business. Please note that neither Sean nor myself are business consultants. We just have a strong passion for discussing all things business. Please remember to visit sigmatree.co to see our other podcasts, our business ventures, and our blog. And by the way, you can also drop us a line from the message page. Again, thank you and have a good week.